November 30th, 2008. It's the Watt from Pedro Show.
to Watt from Pedro's show. Last, uh, what is it? Last um, day of the month, right? Yeah, Brother end Matt? of November. Because this is a shorty. How do you remember that stuff? There's some kind of rhyme. I just look at the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Good technique. Uh, was there a miss today or what? Yeah, a little, little uh, Man, foggy this morning. I couldn't see Tayo at all. And then it was weirder than fog. It was like weird mist. Really, really white, mm. not gray. I was pedaling in it. Uh, we started off with It's Easy to Remember by John Coltrane. And then we heard You're Not Blank, So Baby We're Through by the Dills, which brings up my guest here. Well, several guests <laughs> we have. But the one I asked first was Tony Kinman. Welcome. Hi, Tony. Hi, Michael. Hi, Matt. Hello. Yeah, and Christy, his wife. And then we have some other usual suspects. This is Peek. Hi. Talia. Now, you guys brought some side mice. Side mice. <laughs> My friend Paula and Morgan. Right. Hello. In the corner. Howdy. Talia. I brought my friend Jeff. Okay. Welcome. How's it going? So the Love Grotto Rockin' Pack. <laughs> it says it on the bulkhead up there. Is it oh there it is. That's the old ceiling at the last moved it. Love Grotto. This was been more of restraint. Yeah. So uh, played Long Beach last night at Prospect. It was packed, huh? A lot of humanity. Maybe too much. Couldn't move. Couldn't breathe. Uh, Pete and Jer played good. Huh? Is there such thing as too much humanity? Uh, for the contained the sardine can thing, status. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe okay for a fire or some you know panic situation, earthquake. Maybe then it's good for something like that. But casually, uh, uh, what do you call it? Flitting. Prancing, sauntering, <laughs> no. sauntering. That was difficulty with sauntering. No elbow room. <laughs> or pl- prance, you prancing? Yeah, no, no prancing. Flitting about. <laughs> you dig it when the pads too packed. Does it like encumber the prancing? So that that was the difficulty. I could see, you know, if there was a fire or earthquake. But um, Jeff Morris Tepper played, who did a couple albums with Beefheart, and that was pretty neat to see. Cool. Later day, Doc at the radar station, Ice Cream for Crow, and he had a pretty smoking band. Yeah, we played with uh, Morris Tepper. Yeah. Several last, months ago, they were really good. Yeah, last time. Really good. It was a while ago. Uh-huh. Maybe it was on the Queen Mary. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. The Deerhoof? Yeah. And it was more like a jug band. This was mm. pretty more crazy. One time he called me. This is years ago. Like, after D. Boone got killed. And I was like, wow. Did you ever see Beefheart with him? Mm. I saw that whiskey gig, guys. My leg oh. was in a cast. Anyway, he called me up. And I was like, Wow. This would be a trippy cat to play with. And um, he said, no, no, that was all d- uh, Captain Beefheart stuff, Don stuff. He says, you know, I want to do like 
Highway 61. <laughs> you know, hear that big freight train coming down the track, and that'd be you, what? And I was like, no, man. Much respect to you. But I wanted something like Dirty Blue Jean. I, I, I ended up getting to do that song with Nels. Very difficult. Very difficult. I think it was the first sing, song I recorded with that little bass that got stolen. <clears throat> Tony. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, can I ask you about how you got started with music? Yeah. Okay, how old were you? I guess I was about uh, 16, 17. Yeah. First started, first actually picked something up. Always kind of been into it. But you were listening to records? Listen to a lot of records. I've, I always listened to a lot of records when I was growing up. My parents liked music and my older brother was in on like, you know, the early 60s, from the 60s on music. You grew up around here, LA? No, my father was in the service and we traveled all over. So I probably my first memory of, of you know, rock and roll is... Aside from the you know rock and roll, I mean not the music your parents were listening to, but uh, was in like North Carolina and hearing like the Beatles and the Beach Boys and stuff like that. And I was a kid, and I Is that Fort Bragg. No, it was uh, it was actually a small town called Shalote, North Carolina. We were living there when my father was stationed in Japan, oh, and damn, he was he was only gonna he was only gonna be there for a year. Well, that's where my mother's family was. Ah, from. okay. So we were staying uh, near my grandmother, who lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and listening to all of this music. And I know that at the time, my uh, my con- my concept of cities and geography and where everything was was that Florida was where the big cities were because the biggest. Uh, radio station there everybody listening to was uh, I think it was called WAPE out of Jacksonville, Florida yeah that's a big Navy town and it uh, and it and it blanketed all the southern part of the eastern seaboard and that's where we were listening to most of the songs from out of and so yeah that, what so was that, the call letters? I think WAPE I think they called the ape the big ape that's what they yeah, called because the three letter ones are clear channel ones and they go far like San Francisco KGO mm-hmm Sunday with the motorcycle. So you're listening to the radio, and uh, that gets you wanting to get records. Yeah, well, I didn't actually go out and buy records because I never really had any money until I got a little older and would get paper routes and stuff like that. And then I bought. I remember my first single was a Doors record, a Doors forty five called. Uh, it was Tell All the People. Tell all oh, the yeah. Follow me, yeah. And uh, 45s too. Those were my first records. Yeah, yeah. I think back, I think back then it was probably everybody because they don't, they didn't cost much. No. And back then they would have like usually cool pictures on them. And uh, so I, I would buy buying records. Then started wanting to play a little bit later. Did you know anybody who played? No, I didn't. And it, so Chip and I kind of got our first instruments at the same time. Chip's your brother. Yeah, Chip is my brother. And my partner up until very recently throughout uh, all the years of doing this. And we, you know, we got... Actually, I did know some people. We knew some ukulele players when we lived in Hawaii. 
Wow. Like, well, they, you know. School. No, they were friends of my parents. Like, oh, come over, like, at parties and kids. stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. And they were pretty good. And, I mean, thinking back on it, I had nothing to make a, you know, compare them to at the time. But they would, you know, whip out the ukuleles at parties and stuff like that and start going for it. So that was cool. But those were the only people that I really knew. Aside from doing in high school, you know, like uh, orchestra or marching bands. Oh, you tried that. that? I did it. I didn't try it. I tried I it for it. ten weeks on a clarinet. They put me on clarinet. They told me to. If you would have been taller, they would have put you on baritone saxophone. <laughs> I tried to get on sax, like with the other twenty, thirty guys, and yeah. I got the clarinet. His name was Mister Luna. I told the story a bunch of times, but he says, "What? You try hard, but you ain't got it." <laughs> so when, when is that finally going to sink in? <laughs> I never took another music class in school again. So I, you know, thank God I met Deep Boone. You know, yeah, I, I was I was crushed by that. Uh, what do you call that? Institutional educational experience. Yeah, Asse- yeah. Assessment of a lot of those decisions are made like that. The counselor, you know, mm-hmm. spoke to me in seventh grade. Uh, your pop's Navy, huh? And uh, you scored so much on this test. Well, we're going to put you in an electric shop every year to learn how to fix TVs. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> By the time I graduated, was, nobody's fixing TVs. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put myself through college, take all the classes I should have had in high school. Oh, really? The counselor thing has a lot of sway. Anyway, back to you. You took the music. You played in the band. What'd you play? I played. I played baritone saxophone. Oh wow, Jerry Mulligan. No, it was in marching bands. So you're basically playing tuba parts. Boom, 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 which came in handy when Wreck and File started. But uh, the well, you bought your first instrument. What was it? A guitar? It was no. It was a bass. It was a bass. It was a yeah. Bass. It was wow. A, in those days too. Yeah, it was a Tysco. Wow. It was a Tysco bass. You know. Yeah, I remember those, Tesco. Yeah, like $29. Really cheap. Mm-hmm. They had $14 guitars at the Thrifty, hanging on a tree. Yeah. Metal trees, yeah. No, and I got that, and I got a... Uh, what made you think about bass? Did you know what a bass was? Yeah, yeah, I just always liked it. Oh, because the school orchestra. Well, no, yeah, but not that. Because Probably the cat was playing double bass. No, we bass didn't have a... No, our school, our school orchestra wasn't big enough. It's a marching band. Well, they probably doubled up. Right. Well, no, but in, in marching in uh, orchestra, I played viola. Oh. Which is kind of a bigger violin. It's a bigger violin, yeah. It's the violin, the uh, violin, the viola, then the cello, which is actually the bass, and then the double bass, which is, right, right. you know. And uh, but I played that. But I, I I actually got the bass guitar before that, and was messing around with that with my brother. And I got to uh, learn how to play. Uh, Play bass with the Ventures, the big blue moss right bass on the cover. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was neat. It was and a thir- the bass parts are missing. So yeah, it was a what? thirty-three and a third album, and it had a what you later re- realized was tab- a type of tablature on the thing. Where and it taught you really simple stuff like Chuck Berry stuff. Yeah, you know, or no, Chuck Berry was the like the last pe- the piece you worked up to. The first stuff was really simple. I mean, really simple like bass notes to like some folk songs. It was very cool though. Did you it's ever see any cool. gigs? Like concerts? Like this time? bands? Yeah, at this time. Uh, the, the, first, the first band I ever saw was a, band, a, a real rock band. It was when I was a kid, and this was in South Carolina. 
and there was a band that was playing a picnic called the Mal. They, and the band in South Carolina was called the Malibus. They were a California style surf surf band. Yeah, Fenders. Fenders. Yeah, and that's the first. And I'm tilted back. <laughs> yeah, that was the first band I ever actually remember seeing. And wow, uh, did you look at the bass player? I, I don't I don't remember looking at I I don't remember actually looking at anything except just being dazzled by it all because I always thought I always thought bands were dazzling especially yeah. when ba- especially when bands were actually uh, cared about the way they looked you know back then what were they wearing they were wearing suits I think Imagine. they were wearing blazers kind and of probably like the Beatles maybe, yeah or maybe and maybe even Thanks. like white Levi's or something kind of a surf you know combination yeah, right. type thing. There's they were, a beach in South Carolina. Were you by the shore? Uh, yeah, yeah. It gets sweaty. There's some bumps. It's swampy. Too. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like out here. It's swampy. Yeah. Oh man, I went paddling. I was on tour once and played Charleston. You've been there, very pretty town. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it didn't get burned, <laughs> and so it looks kind of like New England, older. And there's canals from plantation days. Uh, these cats took me paddling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no gators. <laughs> Lucky. That was neat. But man, the bugs come up. Wow. Yeah, big, a lot, lot of bugs there. A couple hundred years ago. So the big houses would be way inland. Yeah, yeah. Those those shipping barons had their big pads there in Charleston. Yeah, Charleston's got that big custom house. And of course, Fort Sumter, mm-hmm. where the party began. <laughs> but. Uh, it's, it's a neat town. I think Shepard Ferry's from there. You know the artist, the old big guy? Mm-hmm. So, you get this bass, you get you got an amp. Yeah, yeah. Like a little... Yeah, that was instantly fuzzed and distorted <laughs> when you plugged in, you know, because there was no <laughs> power to impressive. it. Yeah. Well, you were playing in the bedroom probably, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And Chip gets a guitar. Yeah. And, uh, well, you stop copying records... Uh, we were not, you know, the thing is we were never, we ever, we never actually got really good enough to copy records. Uh, we could, we, we simply, well, I sim- we simply couldn't figure them out. I can figure out bass parts because you put on like a whole lot of love and it's like, it's one string, you know, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. then you turn your amp off a little bit and it's, wow, it sounds almost like the record did it. <laughs> but Chip, uh, Chip's whole thing was that, and I think this is one of the reasons why we got into, uh, we eventually you know, punk rock was perfect, was that he would take a, uh, he was totally into people like Mick Ronson and stuff like that, and he would try to learn a solo, and he would get like three or four notes, and he couldn't get like the other 75 or 100 notes in the thing. <laughs> so he would sort of work around those. And, and he would have, and he would give, and he would give like an abbreviated, condensed version of what the real lead was so we learned pretty on that when we when we would do other people's songs like the garage band i ended up uh playing with in high school uh chip and i both when we would do other people's songs before we ever started writing our own like we would do some new york dolls songs we would do some who songs and stuff like that but for the most part we would really have to uh, come up with brand new arrangements because we could we simply could not play what the the guys the the bands in high school that people actually wanted to play at their parties they could do that there was there was a band called Bondo B 
O-N-D-O. Yeah, it's stuff you use to repair a car. Yeah, and and they were... When you buy a used car, you take a magnet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the magnet won't stick in it. Yeah, it's plastic filler. Yeah, but they they were called Bondo. and uh, Some kind of plastic synthetic uh, bonding... Hence the name, maybe. Yeah, and and the and these these guys could these guys they could play like Bad Company. Yeah, they could play uh, Led Zeppelin. They could play all that stuff perfect. And they had uh, I can't remember his name now, but the one guy who was the guitar player, he went by one name, and he was basically a, a, a stoner, like a surfer stoner guy. Yeah. But he could do any of that Jeff Beck stuff, any of that stuff, any Jimmy Page, all of those guys. And though, and that was the hot band. That was a really, really hot band. That's how it was in Pedro. Yeah, you and copy good. You were the yeah, and we were and we were awful. We couldn't we couldn't do it. We couldn't play like that. And it was uh, and so you know you you we basically were doing like kind of you know versions of like a New York Dolls song or Iggy, or we did some, some tried to learn some stuff off of Raw Power and stuff like that. And we could get closer to that because it wasn't real flash stuff. But still, you know, we uh, we it was difficult, and plus you, and plus it it was me and Chip and our high school friend named Jeff, who was in the Hitmakers later. Oh wow! He uh, that was our high school thing, and we couldn't find any any drummers because we drummers would come and play with us for a while, but then they knew we were crap. <laughs> and they didn't want to. Drummers were always like that. And even in, I, in my experience was that even in the punk rock days, drummers were the last musicians to kind of come around, start coming around because they didn't want to play. You know, you well, got, it was difficult to practice pads. Like you can play in a bedroom. Yeah, just turn down the amps. Drummers mm-hmm. got to have a pad, a garage. Yeah, but even but even then, the, uh, the drummers that were around didn't want to play with us because we were crappy. Yeah. So we always ended up getting. Playing with crappy drummers, or, or playing with good drummers for like twice, <laughs> and then they wouldn't want to play with us anymore. Yeah. We played with D Boone's little brother, so uh-huh. kind of came with the deal. And we would figure out records, but it'd be all the wrong parts. Yeah, yeah, our ears were just terrible. Couldn't fathom it. But we had no notion of writing your own songs. Do you remember the first song you wrote? Yeah. Uh... I think one of the God, I, I I can't remember the exact first song. Yeah, I do. I do remember the first song I wrote. It was <laughs> no, it was horrible. I can't I can't remember the name of it now, but I do remember some of the the music that went into it. It was pretty. Awful. I only want, wrote one song my whole teen years. Mm-hmm. It's called Mr. Bass King Outer Space, <laughs> and it was about this guy does a bass solo at a gig and blows the rest of the band off. <laughs> blows them, blow, blows them off, blows them off the stage. Yes. Yeah, and some issues with the bass man. Because here there was a real big thing about bass being where you put the lame guy. That's what I love the idea you pit bass. Mm-hmm. usually it would be guitar players who couldn't find a gig anywhere else. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was that. It's that I one. got into it because Dee Boone's mom said, you're going to play bass. Uh-huh. She wanted us to have a band because uh-huh. projects, I mean, it wasn't a lot of guns. It was the early 70s, but she wanted us in the house after school. Uh-huh. So you're going to be on the bass. Dee Boone guitars, brother Joe on drums. And, yeah, we did the smoke on the water riff for like hours. <laughs> 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 Must have drove her crazy, but she... Uh, Knew where we were. Uh-huh. 
get in trouble. So, Dee Boone didn't write songs either. There was just no culture of it. In town here, all the guys who could really play just copied other people. Mm-hmm. Well, back then, back then there wasn't there wasn't even a call for it really. It, it, it you, I know sometimes when you when you talk to, uh, you know, you tell the story of the old day, the, the very beginning, the dawn of punk rock, you know, and uh, the the there was there was there wasn't any place to play any original music, you know, music of, of your own. There just simply wasn't the. Uh, all the all the clubs in L.A. didn't, you know. Oh, L.A. But we, no, even even back back down where we were, it was the yeah. same. We uh, we were we. I remember that when after we got stuff sorted out for ourselves and started writing our own songs and actually put together something that we we felt that we. We felt that well, we, we we're ready to go on stage now and at least give a passable presentation of what of of what we want to be in the sense that if somebody comes to see us and even if they hate it we'll be able to go well what they hated was us you know what our music it wasn't like a crappier ver it wasn't it wasn't a crappy version of something that we thought we might have been you know it was after we reached a point where we're kind of going okay we're we're ready to be what we are you know what'd you call the band it was the Dills. Right away. Mm-hmm. Where'd you get that name? Made it up. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and... I kind of... No. What went into no, it? No, no, nothing. You just throwing around letters? Yeah. Oh, we would always sit around and make up band names. Yeah. And, uh... So Dills? Yeah. And, uh, and... Is there Dill Pickle in front of me? No. <laughs> never. Now, see, that would, that would have been dumb. <laughs> I mean, it's better enough to name yourself the Dills, but the thing is to say, well, why did it come? It from has no, it has no. Not source. really. No, I got. I we Somebody's got this. talking in tongues, and another dude grabbed Just it, snatch it out. Yeah, big list. You're got, making lists out. I mean, how does it come up? <laughs> they're, they're, Yahtzee, Scrabble, things. Yeah. Yeah. There's no method you can think of. That'll work. For, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> there was no process? No. Who no. takes credit? Me? You. Yeah. Or the blame, you right? You probably yeah. know a little more than that. That's what Chip used to say, ask Tony when people ask the question. But the. Uh, and, but you, we would, and, and we would get gigs where, like, you know, uh, get some connections from, like, high school you know that we'd, we'd gone to and said like you know because we knew that every once in a while they would have bands play during lunch and we'd go you know call up a, I don't know an old teacher or something or some somebody who was a year younger than us who was now a senior you know and say could you uh get us at lunchtime yeah you know you're, you're the chairman of the entertainment yeah well, yeah it'd be great uh and it was always it was always the same. It was like you got you got about a minute and a half into it. Then literally, we played a uh, we got a gig playing a German restaurant because you couldn't you couldn't get into clubs to play. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. played places like you know Conjure School into it or German restaurant. We once played a uh, a pizza joint in Garden Grove. Uh, well, by this time you've moved out here. No, no, this is all kind of like leading, yeah, it was all like leading up to this thing. We were still living in Carlsbad. Hey, Bob. Oh, yeah, but you make the move from 
Because this the high schools in Carlsbad. Oh yeah, the, this stuff was still going on in Carlsbad. I played a German art the same thing. It was like bam. So you reached a point where like you were just wondering what it would be like when you finally got through your first song. But uh, <laughs> you know, but that but but that's that's just what was happening there. There was there was no place to go through now. I mean, even the even even now the the most inept crappiest thing will at least probably usually get a chance to play at least once somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, give here's what we here's who we are, here's what what we're doing. But back then it was just a it was it was a struggle even to get that. There simply wasn't much of a place to So we're talking like seventy four, seventy five. Yeah. Or even like seventy five, seventy six. Okay. Yeah. And then you hear about the mask? No, no. What ha- what happened what happened to us is that we moved up to San Francisco. From Carlsbad we moved to San Francisco. Uh Bouhe. Yeah. Because the uh, Jeff, who was the still, with the deal still had a lead singer. It was Jeff, and we had a drummer named Joseph. And they, they, they moved. We moved up to San Francisco. We ended up staying there like a couple of months. Uh, we we played one gig up there, and but we met the nuns and like yeah. those guys, and got hit from Mabuhe. We came back, and. Uh, we came. We we moved back to Carlsbad. Uh, Jeff quit, and Joe, the drummer, quit. And uh, Chip and I got our uh, my best friend from high school, Andre. We made him our drummer. Yeah. And that's you know I've seen a picture of the four man Dills. Brendan Mullen had it. You know about this? No. Uh. Uh-uh. You remember taking a picture for the band, a promo yeah, picture? Yeah, we had pictures, yeah. And some outfits. I don't recall the outfits we were wearing. <laughs> kind of girly a little bit. I Maybe don't... Mick Ronson. Oh, yeah, that. Chip. Yeah, Chip was like that, not me. I'll blame that on Chip. I shouldn't say girly. I just say anti-hetero. Yeah, not, yeah, maybe not so convinced of that. Non-Pedro. <laughs> it was wild. Uh, he had this picture. I don't know how he got it. Did you remember flowing him on? Brendan Mullen was the cat who ran the mask. No, no. I, in fact, I never, met, I never met Brendan until after all this time. So okay. I, he had this picture. <laughs> he pulled it out from a drawer in the lingerie. Once he says, "You got to see this one." I didn't believe him. Are you sure it was us? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You don't remember taking this promo picture? Oh no, we took we took pictures yeah. back then. The four man. Yeah, but I don't know how I don't know how how they would have been called girly because I don't recall I, yeah, that I at called all. It girly. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that because you know I was in. I thought that's how you made music. You know, Alice Cooper. I never wondered about his name and New York Dolls and all that. I'd say girly now. In those days, I'd say rock and roll mm-hmm. because it seemed like that's what rock and roll people did. Or Fogarty with flannel, you know they had yeah. fits. Yeah, and so I didn't mean it in a pejorative way. Uh huh. Sure. No, I didn't. I didn't. I was full into that stuff. But uh, it was a lot different than the three man deals. That's what. Yes, very much. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have recordings of those days? I know there are recordings. I don't have any. Because we actually did, we actually did, I think we actually did go in to do, like, record two or three songs. So this band that you just start with, Chip, ends up being the band you start doing gigs. There's no in-between bands. 
No, there's not. Wow. No, there's not. Because, I mean, back in high school, it was like, it was like an isolation. You know, you, if you, if you, there weren't that many people who liked the same bands or liked the same yeah. things. And so, like, the other band I was describing where all these guys could really play and stuff like that. This is, I mean, bands like uh, Grand Funk Railroad and Black Sabbath, like, ruled my high school. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bad I Company too. and stuff like that. And I wasn't, I was, I mean, I, I was into, like, Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. But I didn't, I didn't really like those other bands. And, uh, and that was, uh, you know, I liked the Dolls. And I liked the old stuff. I liked the Kinks and things like that. Yeah, which was considered old music. In it, yeah, well, yeah, well, it was. I mean, it was old music. I, I back tell then. people ask me about young people these days yeah. and, and how old-minded they are and how close-minded it was in our days. Uh-huh. Yeah, stuff like Kinks was called old music. Well, plus back then too, it was all still. It hadn't started cycling yet. It was still. Uh, oh, like you said, parents. Rock and roll, not your parents' music. Nowadays, yeah, nowadays you it can't is. Talk to a kid like that. All their parents. You know, oh yeah, like, nowadays it is. I, I've, you know, I. I mean, you know, a lot of the people that I knew back then have kids now. I mean, they have kids that are grown, grown up basically now. But I remember seeing them with the kid. You know, they buy they buy their kids like a little kid size Ramones T shirt. Yeah, and yeah. it's just you kind of and I. My parents never put me in a Perry Como T-shirt, you know, it just was, you know, or anything like that. But then it's like, oh, I want to make sure my kid likes cool music, and it's like, that's way why? different. Yeah, why? I remember when why? I first started touring, I met people that actually their parents were hippies. Yeah, I didn't know anybody whose parents were hippies. I'm either, neither. <laughs> you know, but our generation is. Yeah, that that's quite a trip. Yeah, but the. Uh, but but anyway, but back then the music hadn't really started cycling in the sense that you you, yeah, you right. still had like you know Elvis then then everything that came before Elvis and, and Elvis Beatles. and Chuck Berry and that whole thing then the Beatles yeah. and then the King stuff like that so they, there was still a uh, it was still there was still a what's the word for it uh, there was still like a a linear movement happening yeah. you know Sequential. which is yeah which which has stopped now and now everything's it's folded back on itself and everything else. Right, so right. now it's, uh, I mean, I've got a friend of mine who's, <clears throat> he's a lot younger than me. And uh, he was telling me that he saw that movie, uh, The Darjeeling Express, and which one with all the kinks music in. That's weird. I just saw that last night. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that's how he got hip to the kinks. He had never heard of the kinks before. He liked the music he was hearing. And this guy's like 22 years old. And so, yeah, and I, I, watched the, uh, I watched the credits, and I saw it was by this band called The Kinks, and so I Googled them, and he did the thing, and then he went out and got, he just got, all, their, he went out and got all their stuff. And he's a huge <laughs> Kinks fan now. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, but that's... That's the young people. They're open-minded to that, and plus information's yeah, but, and, a lot and, and the music's brand new. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like... If he goes to see Ray Davies now, he's kind of go, okay, you know, that's, you know, that's, that guy's pretty old, but the music still, yeah, but I, I don't I, even know I if that would kids be. bum on old like they did. I, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I was going to say, I remember I'm not, I saw I'm not that even Woodstock sure that makes movie. That, that much of a difference now. And, you know, as a kid, it just came out. Yeah. And when Sha Na Na comes out, everybody started booing. <laughs> it's like, what well, is my dad's music? Fuck this shit. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> and it was only like 10, 15 years old yeah. at the most. Yeah. Now, like young person listening to 35, 40 year old Black Sabbath, no problem. Yeah. 
Well, but actually, I, I, but I don't think I think except in black music there has been that there hasn't been that sort of uh, sequ- sequ- the, the sequence is over. There is not there, there's not really there's no there, there is no real innovations in sound or cinema in, in attitude maybe a little bit because I think music's gotten a lot more cynical. I think you know the sense of uh, the sense of irony has gotten leaden. It's you know it's just it, it doesn't work anymore because it's if it's all ironic then it's not ironic anymore and i think that that's the i i just notice that when i hear a lot of stuff a lot of stuff that's being done these days that, and i hear it and it, the the sounds will be good i i like the i like the sounds of a, of a lot of music nowadays but the but the minute the singing starts i just i just go i i've Sit down and shut up. You know, I, I've I've heard this all before. Not in the sense that it's a repetition. It's just the attitude is always the same, always the same. And when you go back and you listen to some older stuff where somebody either sounds sincere or is faking it really well, it's it's makes your ears stand up. Yeah, mine really. at least. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even if they're screaming. Well, speaking of irony, okay, you're trying to do these gigs. Yeah. And this punk scene comes out. And how'd you hear about it? You moved to San Francisco before you heard of it? I read about no, it. No, there, no, there was not a... Uh, there, well, when we moved to San Francisco... I'm, I'm actually trying to think now where... Okay, Chip had, Chip was a, Chip subscribed to Rock Scene magazine. Rock Scene, yeah. And, uh, and he... So we, we saw pictures of the Ramones before we ever heard them. Ever yeah, got the re- before the record was ever out, ever got made, pictures. you know, it's like the they had the pictorials of Ramones by a guitar, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, it was, uh, I think, Ruxin came along a little too late to get at the at the height of the dolls thing, but they at the tail end of the red leather dolls when the dolls were managed by McLaren yeah, and they were yeah, doing the, the red leather. Tour. Yeah, there was a there was a couple of there was a couple of photo spreads from that thing. Well, they came out here and did a Don Kirshner tape, and yeah, but that but that was that was when they were the Still uh, before Malcolm. Yeah. yeah. Did you go to that? Yeah, is it they were at the Long Beach um, auditorium. auditorium? See, I saw them play at JJ's in San Diego. Wow, they were cr- that, that that was the first that is the first real rock concert I ever went to was the was the uh, was oh the you never went to Arena Rock no no. I but that wasn't real because I didn't. I, no, I I went to I went to uh, I went to two arena shows. I saw uh, I think it, it was I w- drug not drugged there but just went there with my friends because I wasn't into these bands. I saw Almond Brothers. Yeah, I heard of them. It was a nightmare. <laughs> it was an endless. It was happened. endless. It was endless wank. And uh, and I saw. Uh, even though I like some of their tunes when I listen to them on the record on a record now, but I saw them live and they were heinous. And uh, and uh, and I saw Black Sabbath with Yes opening for them. Yeah. Wow. The Fish. <laughs> Chris Squire playing The Fish. <laughs> it was it was awful. I mean, it was horrible. And uh, and and I was kind of going, through, and it wasn't. It just wasn't any fun. And years later, I went to see. Uh, I went to see uh, Chip said oh, we, let's go see Motley Crue at the Forum or something. It yeah. was the same thing, you know, because once you 
once you get that sort of Nuremberg thing happening yeah. with the giant gatherings and all that stuff, it's it's. I mean, it's my my own particular taste is that I don't. Oh, you know, I, it's 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 it's. There's nothing you could touch or really feel. But when I so the Dolls was the actual first band I saw that I had their record and I loved them. I loved them. I wanted to see them. These other bands like the Arena stuff. I didn't want. I didn't want to see those bands. I just went because it's like. Oh, tickets with you know my what? friends. I'm, I'm thinking, dolls, dills. Uh-oh. No, there, no, there was no connection. But it, that, that is a good, that is a good. Uh, I'll take that explanation. <laughs> okay, let's listen to some more music.
rebel salty sentences, your regular boasts, unquestionable, immutable, my enduring brilliance from Pedro show that was my enduring brilliance by the pity fur the pity fur is that a name three words t-h-e-p-i-t-y-f-u-r pity the fur no the pity fur a pity for your oh the pity the fur here that's a cool name I like that. Now you just, do you ponder the origin? No. <laughs> I think it's just that incongruous wordplay creates some good names. Maybe it's some kind of toupee. Oh. Deferred. <laughs> <laughs> then we heard uh, something live from the Dills, Mr. Big. You know what gig that was? No. No, I don't know. Because the way the way a lot of uh, the way a lot of that stuff gets released is that Chip and I had a long uh, we would get the Dills only made two we made two forty five made three forty fives uh, two with two songs traditional and one with three songs on it so we had that's eight or seven songs released total that were actually recorded in a studio yeah I'm gonna get to that I want to talk about yeah. you recording no and over the, but over the years what would happen is that we would get these uh, People, gigs. yeah, people who would come up and they would say, "Well, uh, do you mind if I press it up and release it?" And we said, "No, just uh, <clears throat> be honest that on the liner notes, you know, with whatever it is, you know, you have our blessing. Here's the name of our publishing company. You know, if you sell it any, you know, be sure to do the right thing, even if it's only like forty five cents. Just to be honest, and uh, you know, uh, send us a copy just so we can have one and." Somewhere on the cover, make sure that the somebody's interested in buying it is going to be able to see that this was recorded on a cassette at a live show. So, just so they'll know what they're going to get. So that yeah, they, yeah, yeah. You mean the quality? Yeah. Caveat empty. Yeah, and but but we we and but that, you don't know where. The, then the, obviously they didn't put that information on this one. This no. is off a CD called uh, uh, Class War. It was released on Dionysus about four, yeah. I think, about four years ago. Which is Lee Lee Joseph? That's his name. That's right. Yeah. Lee Joseph, good cat. Put that out. And uh, but maybe some is from that uh, the live thing that What Records put out. Maybe. Or What Records is from a similar source that they put okay. out. Yeah. Uh, and then we heard Chip Kimmon and PCH with Lady Bird. Now this is a new band. 
your brother has. I played with him last week at Mr. T's Bowl. It was really good. You've told me there's other versions. I guess this is the latest version, seeing it was a week ago. Oh, PCA? No, well, yeah. this is, this is I, I think this is the definitive version of the <laughs> okay. band. Okay, yeah, they're good. I liked yeah. it. And then we started off with Amanda Ruth by Rank and File. We're going to get to Rank and File, but I still want to explore some of these Dills because this is your early days. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, you're not playing the Tesco bass in the Dills, are you? No. Right? No. You're playing... Uh, I was playing the Thunderbird. You got a thunder. That's your second bass. No, 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 no. I went through. I went through between the Tesco and uh, the Thunderbird. I had a uh, my first real bass, which was a a you know it was a fairly well bit built instrument. Was a uh, was a Ibanez uh, version of a EB EBO bass. The the you know like yeah, but with a long scale neck and yeah. it had a slotted head like an EB three. Yeah. Pickups. Yeah, and it was long scale, and that was a real one. And then my first real bass was a, a Rickenbacker four thousand, the single one with the single pickup. That I can testify are very well built instruments. Yeah, I because, think uh, Costa Mesa they built. Yeah, well, I I know because at the time I I got that I got that bass while I was still in a band with the lead singer. The Dills had four people. Yeah, and and. Uh, Jeff, what's he doing now? I don't know what Jeff's doing now, but uh, hey, Jeff, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Tony now. says I. But they had, a, uh, <laughs> but we had, we had some beef at some rehearsal like that, and I threw my bass at him. Whoa! And he ducked, and it bounced off the wall, and a little chip off the pick guard. Besides that, it was pick it up and play it, wow. which is unusual. You don't think of Rickenbackers like that, but this well, one they're was strong. Amazed. Yeah, the, the neck goes through the body. It's all maple. Yeah, they're strong bases. Yeah, and then okay. and then after that, I got my Thunderbird, which was the base I really wanted all along. Yeah. Oh, really? Because Killer Kane had one. Kane had one. It whistled, played one yeah. for a while. Uh, over in Watts from Montalupo right, Montalupo. played one. They were just really cool looking. He also had boots up there. Yeah, right. <laughs> and his hair was dyed silver. Yeah, right. He was young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he had boots up to his uh, yeah. thighs. Yeah, his and, cat. yeah, and so and and that's the and that's the base I had throughout the whole day. You know, Ronnie told me when Ig was doing raw power, they had them cats come and try to be the rhythm section. It didn't work. That's why the Ashton brothers got called. Oh, really? Yeah. What over over in Watson Buffin, the drummer from Mata Who? Buffin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So sometimes that doesn't work. That's a that yeah. Is. They were trying all these cats over there, and finally Ig said, "Let's call the Ashton brothers." Yeah, oh, but that makes would have made sense though, right? Yeah. So you get this uh, Thunderbird. You're up in San Francisco. You're doing some gigs. Well, uh-huh. I heard you saw some pictures in rock scene, and then you hear about this Mabuhe on Broadway, right? No, no, no. We no. We had seen. We we played the Mabuhe before we ever heard of the Mabuhe. We we played up there with the four piece. It was just the it was the play when we got up to San Francisco. We were absolutely clueless about anything. We thought we were going to go up there, and it was going to be like, you know, the Monkees or the Beatles in Help. You know, we were all going to live in one place. Yeah, and we were so good that we'll just get gigs and just 
be a band and all live together. Did you have a manager? No, we didn't have anything. Okay, We'd have any, we had nothing. We had no money. We didn't have a clue. Yeah, but some bands get managers. No. You know, Gary Floyd, he lives up in San Francisco now. He's in this band, The Dicks. Yeah, he was in the big... He was in the Dicks. big... Oh, he write The Dicks, yeah. Big boys was buddies of theirs in yeah, Austin, yeah, but he yeah. moved to San Francisco. And he told me they had this thing called Fake Band, uh-huh. where you get your band together and shit, and you don't even practice, but you put flyers up. Yeah. You don't have any gigs, you don't have any, but, you know, you have like a, a presence. Yeah. No well, songs, we, you've never jammed together. Well, see, we were the opposite of that. We, we, we were thought we were real, but we didn't have any of the other stuff. We didn't have any yeah. flyers. We didn't have a press. We didn't have anything. But you got this gig at the movie. Well, what, 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 no, no. What ended up happening was we, how do we get that gig? Uh, I think it was through the nuns, I think. Uh, because we had we had we were walking around looking for we were just walking around town one day and we saw this nun's poster and it, and it looked really it, it looked like something like out of the Stooges you know yeah you know the, you know the hair and the the kind of the attitude and the photograph and the weird name and all this stuff so yeah we, so we uh, we. We went to the place where they were advertised to play, and we got there, and they said, and the uh, place, and it was a coffee shop or something, or a little bar, said, no, nah, there's no gig tonight. I'm not going to let those guys play something like that. But they had stuck up a a, a little handwritten notice and thing saying, gig canceled, uh, come see us at, and they, they so they what they did is they went to their rehearsal space and, and said, left a note saying, come and see us play our rehearsal space. So we went there, and they were great. They were very like the Stooges and uh, very like Raw Power Stooges. The songs were great. The sound was great. Uh, and I think that we just chatted and chatted. Was, we and it was like, do you guys have a band like too? And back then it was like, we were like some of the only people who came to their gig. Uh, we do you guys oh you we have a band out? too and so oh great we have another gig in a few weeks why don't you guys play with yeah, us yeah, yeah. and so we did and i i think that's the way we got that gig and uh it was like a, a wreck uh, uh, but did you get more than one song out yeah yeah we got to play our entire show but it was but it was like <laughs> was that your first full gig it was our first full gig and that was enough to know especially chip and i to know this isn't working because you know we were we were we were writing because so, before that you could blame it on the situation right yeah hey, yeah got yeah shot. man it was yeah. incredible when we finally played well we finally did get to play and realized that it's not working with jeff and joseph the drummer mm. and uh they didn't like the songs chip and i were writing and it showed and uh and it was it, it wasn't the kind of gig it that that you know at the end of it, you're going to go, wow, we're really on to something. At the, at the, it was the kind of gig where at the end of it, you kind of go, me and Chip were kind of going, this doesn't work. And those guys were going, your songs suck. And so it was like a mutual sort of part. We, so we actually went back to Carlsbad. After uh, that gig. After, well, a the couple gig of... It was a traumatic yeah. experience. Well, well, we'd run out of money. You know, ah, and the and the and the and monkeys and uh, help. It was over. Yeah. You know, it was like this is right. you know, and and the, the and the, woke up, and and it wasn't like there was four hundred people there who were going after we played, going, yeah, bring it on, yeah, let's go for it, and uh, 
and so we but we but we actually did get a little write-up in the a little i think a paper called cyclone it was like a little one and a half minute mention of the us yeah that but it was really ambivalent it wasn't like a good a good write-up but it wasn't bad but it was enough to keep you going you're kind of going okay. yeah anyway so so anyways these two guys. <laughs> yeah so we went back to we went back to carlsbad parting the ways with me and chip and uh jeff and joseph uh here, let's, let's cut it there, because okay. we're at the end of the first hour. Okay. I'll type for hour two, November 30th, 2008, Watt from Diderot Show. November 30th, 2008, <laughs> it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show, and we continue with Tony Kinman and uh, other guests here. But, uh, Tony, more about Dill. So... Okay, the we went, movies over. You're coming back to Carlsbad. Okay, we got we got back to Carlsbad, uh, parting the ways with Jeff and Joseph. And well, people should know about Carlsbad. It's it's kind of down San Diego way. Yes, it's uh it's just south of Oceanside, <laughs> right by the Marine Base Pendleton. Yeah, well, my dad. That's well, that's how we ended up there. My dad uh, was sta- got stationed in Camp Pendleton and retired and loved Southern California. Decided to retire there. And uh, anyway, we went down there. Uh, Jeff and Joseph parting the ways. We got our my buddy, high school best friend Andre to play drums with us. Said you're going to play drums, uh, and we he took the name of Buddy Hate for Buddy Love, like Buddy Love in the original Nutty Professor. Said yeah. he was going to be Buddy Hate, uh, and we actually we made a couple of made a trip or two back to San Francisco with Andre. Buddy. Well, that reminds me. Yeah. How and old were you at this time? This would have been 21, 22. Because you have this, you had a different name too. Tony 19, yeah. So you must have got that name a couple years before. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and your counselor said you'd never amount to And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, People and, used to think me and D Boone's names were fake. Watt and Boone? Yeah. D Boone, Daniel, Daniel Boone. Boone. It might be like light bulb or something. Right. And, uh, okay, so we did, but we did a couple, of, and we were actually, and we, we were still living in Carlsbad, fishing around for gigs, you know, back up in the city. And, uh, and that's when we got the call to, to do the uh, Cheech and Chong thing. And we did that. There's a movie called Up in Smoke. Yes. First Cheech and Chong movie, and there's a thing that they're going to play the Roxy, and the opening band is. I heard the Germs tried out for it and lost. Oh no, they were all. They, they were all. They, there was a lot of bands that played that day. We yeah. were the only ones they used, as it turned. But out. it's like you're not doing a song. It's like you're tuning up or something. No, it was. It was really weird. We got. We got up there. We. Uh, we weren't even supposed to be in it. It was an accident. Us getting in the, on that show because uh, everything else was scheduled. Peter Urban was our manager at the time. Ah, so you do have a, ma- a manager. No, by this time we did have a manager, but not the first time up in San Francisco. Peter uh, called us up, and Peter was a manager the way Buddy Hate was our drummer. He was like... Just a buddy. Buddy, yeah, well, I'll be your manager, okay. Right. And uh, and he called up and he said, uh, There's make, they're doing a move. Uh, Ronnie Bingenheimer mentioned uh, the Dills. Uh, he said, hey... Rodney on his radio show said, you know, Cheech and Chong are filming this thing. Everybody's going to be there. Hey, maybe the deal should try to play. And I think it was a joke. I think he was joking. And uh, Peter Urban got on the phone and said, hey, you guys come up here now. You know, 
Wow. And, and let's try to do this. And we said, why? And he said, just come on up. So we went, we picked him up. He lived over on Argyle Street. We picked him up, drove to, I think they filmed at the Roxy or the Whiskey. Yeah, or I think it was the Roxy. And, uh, Argyle's where the cafe was. Yeah, we like, literally pulled up. Uh, the guy, I guess the AD or something, whoever it was, walked out the door and said, who's next? Peter literally opened the door and said, we are. The guy said, what's the name of the band? The Dills. And we, st- went on, we went in on stage. We went in. Uh, they came and did some filmmaking blab at us for a few seconds. Like, okay, this, that, and the other, do this. Don't stop. Do, when we say go, go. Uh, we, we set up our stuff, and uh, Andre, who was... a, a, a not a player. He and was this just is his like first gig with you. Uh, no, we we. I oh, think, you had done some. Other I think gigs. I think we'd done a few others, and uh, but still, it was it was foreign to him. You yeah, know, yeah. it was like, and so we, you know, we're sitting around getting ready to go, and all of a sudden the guy goes, "Go!" And Chip goes like, "Why?" And he goes, "Go, you're on." And so we, we we played whatever it is we played, and it was like forty five seconds later. Uh, Andre's, I think Chip had broken strings, and Andre had pushed his, uh, messed up his drum kit really bad. And that was it. And Andre signaled, like, stop, I, my drums are messed up. And that was it. And that was, we were off. And we, and it made it in the... In yeah, the movie. the movie, it's really just, it's not like a coherent song. No, it's not like, and here's the band play. It's just some garble. It's like an opening act, you, you kind of gather, because he's going to come on in the tutu and do... Yeah, I, I've, never, I've never yeah, seen I it, so I don't know. It's about a lot of mota. <laughs> like they end up with a truck. <laughs> yeah, made of Really? Yeah. <laughs> right in the pig, pulls them over, and wants to eat hot dogs because it lights on fire. Stupid fucking movie. Somebody. Mama Taka to me, Taka tell me how to live. Yeah, yeah, right. Which was a song on this album. The movie was about working bits in from their stage show and their album or something. But you guys are in it. I thought that was quite a coup. Yeah, thanks. So anyway, uh, so you start doing gigs. When do you record that what single? Uh, we record the what signal single after... Because uh, that song we played at the beginning of the show, uh, you're right, right. We, on uh, one side and I hate the rich on the other Well, we were friends with the Zeros. Yeah. We'd made friends with the Zeros. Who and, were like uh, Chula Vista? Yeah, Chula Vista. So it was National like, City. Yeah, it was down same, not close, but you know... All further, you really know, further young south. Cats, so. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think, I think, except for Javi, I think they were all still in high school. Yeah. Maybe Lopez, maybe Robert Lopez was had just gotten out. But he uh, ended up moving to San Francisco too. Yeah, and uh, they had just put out uh, Wimp on Bomb, or yeah. they were going to put Wimp out on Bomb, and uh, and Javi played it for us. And we said, "Wow, that's a, it's really cool. That you know, you, it's a great sound." And we said, where'd you record? And he gave us the name of the place they recorded it, which was yeah. down there. And uh, we, I don't know if we had talked to Chris Ashford from Watt Records, and I don't know if he said, make, make, make I'll, I'll release a single of you, or if we were going to record one and then get somebody to release it. Uh, I kind of think it was that way because we didn't have any sort of, if we talked to Chris, he probably would have given us like a hundred dollars to make it. But as it was, we made it for like fifty. This is your first time in the studio uh, it, with with the Dills, yeah. To make to make a real record that we knew people were going to actually hear, and so uh, yeah, so we went down there, and like this bored uh, hippie was basically said, "You got the money, yeah, set up and play." 
And so we did, and we did two songs, and we were in and out of there really quick. And uh, we, you know, uh, and then we give it to Chris Ashford, and he put it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's when, and after that, that's when we moved to San Francisco. Okay. In the, me- in the meantime, we moved to San Francisco because uh, Andre, Buddy Haight, didn't, wanted to go back to school. So we had a very friendly party in the ways. We went up to San Francisco and... Uh, Found a new drummer. Yeah, got John Silvers. As a, uh, we actually auditioned some drummers down here, and then, but then we, got, when we moved to San Francisco and got, uh, got him uh, up there. And then we, started, then we started playing regularly up there and actually became whatever the deals were. That's where we became whatever we were up, up, once we moved Well, up later there. You, you make a Danger House record. <clears throat> yeah, we do a Danger House record down here. So, uh, which was actually before, I'm sorry, Danger House we recorded before John Silver. That's right. We recorded Danger House when we were still down there with uh, Rand McNally, who was right. part of Danger House, right. whose real name was Pat Garrett. Which, why do you change your name from Pat Garrett to Rand McNally? Everybody was changing names. Yeah, but Pat Garrett's a pretty cool name. Yeah, yeah. You know. He's got Billy the Kid. Yeah. And, uh... He played drums on that, and I think Gaza produced it. Uh, I don't know if, uh... I don't know if Gaza produced it. No? Because I'm pretty sure if Gaza had produced it, he would have taken credit. It's not on there? No. Because he was already, you know... Uh, getting credit for producing stuff. I don't. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I, he I don't mixed I, up with a lot of those cats. Yeah, but I don't recall. I actually, I don't recall. The their, sound is so much different than the first record. Yeah. Well, we uh, the our sound was always changing. It. I mean, the deals were only together for. I mean, the deals as from I hate the rich to. Uh, it's not worth it. Yeah, it's not worth it. Our, our sound was always changing because it was uh, not for any calculating reason because there was no there were no calculations to be made. It was just whatever whatever it it uh, whatever we felt like is what we did. In fact, I remember Chip uh, and I having a big discussion a few months before the deal split up, where he was. Uh, it's when hardcore was starting to come in. Yeah. And everything was getting really fast and, and you know, <coughs> like that. And Chip said, well, we got to, you know, we, we, we really should, you know, start playing, playing faster. faster and harder again and all that stuff. And I said, I said, I, I don't, you know, I can't, I don't feel that. I mean, if, if, I'm, if, I, write, if, I, if, I, if, if we come up with some song, if, we write, if I write a song where that's what it is, that'll be fine. I said, but I, I said, I don't. <coughs> That's not what we're doing. And then, and plus, I said, Chip, I said, there's a thousand bands now that are doing that. I said, I don't, I said, whatever we are, we're, we can't be just one more of those, you know? Well, and, you say this is right around the breakup because that double seven inch thing, that's slower. Yeah. Yeah. The sound of the rain. Well, the- that was leading more to what uh, Rank and File <coughs> was going to be. The, and, uh, <clears throat> it it was a it was a strange time because the di- and and plus there was a I don't know if you ever noticed this Mike but I I always felt that there was a there's a there's a dynamic in a scene yeah and that you've seen a scene after a while is that especially once you become a part of it and then if it's 
if it starts happening for you, you reach a point where you know you you, you can pull two or three hundred people, you know, a, a, a regularly, and you can become a, a you know a, a pretty prominent you know the cock of the walk of that scene, you know, and there can be several of them. Several cocks at the walk scene, several bands. I remember up in San Francisco, it was like the Avengers and, and the Nuns. And the Dills actually reached that status where, like, we were the band. You know, we were the band. This is right before the Dead Kennedys came out. But like that wave of, that next wave of San Francisco bands that actually took it all to a, a totally different level. Romeo Void. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have mentioned them. <laughs> but uh, the... Uh, but, oh, no offense to any Romeo Voight fans out there. <laughs> no, it's just that I never thought of those guys as being part of that. They're more like New Wave. New Wave. It's hard to explain to people about those shades of yeah. contrast. Yeah. But the thing had the, to be there to yeah. understand that. <clears throat> but, but I think what happens is that if you don't, if you don't actually get out of that scene, I mean, yeah. get out the, in the sense that you're... Uh, you're you're pulling in a lot more different people than just the original faces, you know, the the, the yeah. couple of hundred people. Well, I tell that people the punk scene in those days was very small. Yeah, it was very small. Yeah. But and and if but and if things don't and and if things start to falter, then that could all get put, that that can all just crumble out from under you really quick, and you've got no place to go. Uh, in the sense that, I mean, there's a there's a point where everybody goes where, like, you know, they follow their favorite band in little clubs for years, and all of a sudden their favorite band is playing big places, and you're going, who are all these people? Yeah. And that's when you stop going to see them, right? Because you're going, fuck it, they got merch. They're merch. Yeah, they got merch. And, uh, but if you, if you, if you do something to irritate or, or, or piss off or rock the boat of whatever scene you're in at the time, and you haven't, Pulled, started pulling those other people in to take you, you know, to take you out of that. The, the, you will get eaten alive. And yeah, what I, was and, this and word? Uh, slag. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's kind of heavy. Scene can be so small. Yeah. It gets kind of insidious, maybe. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, because I remember it reached the point that one of the reasons why the deal split up is that it, San Francisco got really toxic for us just because of some personal things that had happened. Uh, our, our. Uh, or you know there was uh, our manager had, had had quit or we or wasn't working with us anymore and he would and he actually had become people he was very popular in the scene himself as that's just a, a personality and he would start coming to shows and like standing in front of us and going like this and a third of the audience Tony showing middle fingers yeah and a third of the audience would be going like what's he doing that for these guys are uncool I I had gotten in a couple of fights with a you know uh, real fights with a couple of people that were also scene favorite stuff like that and like I said we weren't we weren't breaking out of the scene we were still in the scene and so all of that stuff started to actually you know we start we started playing and people were kind of going like well, you guys are assholes or uh, or or you guys suck now you're not any good anymore see so, we were far away enough in Pedro we didn't know about any of that no, it, <laughs> no it, well the thing is is that that you know this, what I mean? this I, is oh, just I look con- back now on yeah. it and it was so good yeah that we weren't that even though it was very informal scene, yeah, we still were. Uh, there was distance yeah. between us and Hollywood and what was going on. And no, and we just saw you guys as a great band. 
Yeah. And well, Doug they well, didn't care about the other shit. No. Well, that I would read sometimes the, in interviews well, the there were some heavy things coming down. Well, the other shit would only answer. the other shit would only happen in San Francisco. In L.A. It was still fine, and every place else, like up in Vancouver, uh-huh. in Portland. Yeah, Canada I was going to get fine. to that because but the we last, lived in San Francisco. The last recording is done in Canada, mm-hmm. right? So you go up there to record, or you're going to move. No, no, we never moved up there. We ended up playing there a lot because our our last drummer we had Zippy. Zippy, Zippy was from Vancouver. Yeah. And uh, we, the Dills always did really well up in Vancouver. Very, we were very popular up there. And uh, <clears throat> the guy, uh, Rogal, what, what was his name? I can't remember his name. But the guy, Rogalady Records, he's, he was the guy who said, <clears throat> because you didn't sign contracts back then. It was like, yeah. let's put a single out, wait, wait a little bit, then get a you know, few more songs, pick out your two best, make another single. And it was about time for us to do another single. And so he said, hey, you guys want to uh, be, we'll, I'll put a record out. And, uh, get, and we went into a real studio. And, it was you know, trippy. It was so. two seven inches mm-hmm. with three songs. Mm-hmm. You didn't go and make a fourth song. I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, we just didn't. Maybe we ran out of time or money or just didn't bother. <laughs> or, or the idea was to put two songs on one you know, really cram it down on one side and just release it on one forty-five. And do then it. tiny sound. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been. No, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, let's listen to one of those songs. Yeah, you know when they play punk rock on that radio station, the guy comes on afterwards and goes, well, "I don't know." It's not worth it. You might as well spend your days in bed. It's not worth it. No matter what you do, you're better off as you put You make a use of your eyes, but don't use them on me, cause you'll be wasting your time. You got your problems, and I got mine. What's it do to make your living? Make your living a crime. Oh, it's not worth it. You put your head through a wall With nothing else you tried to make some sense of it all Look in that mirror, tell me what do you see? It ain't me, it ain't me, it ain't me Oh, it's not worth it You might as well spend your days in bed It's not worth it No matter what you do, you better cry
Not worth it by the Dills live. You know what it says here, Tony? It says 1980. No, the Dills were gone by 1980. I know, but this is what it says. That's when that was put out, right? No, it says recorded live, Christy. No, that was not. Dills Dills ended this class war record. There's some erroneous. Yeah, the Dills were gone by the end of 1979. Okay, so it's bullshit. And it's got the first, uh, oh, that's Lee Joseph. Sorry, Lee, but. This is great, this picture here. Look at Chip. I mean, right? They're standing there. Yeah. So this stage is probably on the deck. That's ma- that's the Mabuhe. And that's- oh, they came up on stage. Oh, yeah, yeah Rex. That's, yeah, that's da- yeah, this is Danny. Uh, Danny from The Avengers. That's, yeah. Will, that's Will Shatter. I'm not sure who this is, but and that's uh, Jimmy Wilsey from the Avengers. Avengers bass player. Who ended up guitar with? Uh, Chris Isaac. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a trip. Uh, yeah, getting up. So the deal's the problem with uh, the scene. Yeah, and just and just just feeling like uh, it was... Like you couldn't make other music and still call it the deal's. You're going to have to make a new band. Yeah, and in pl- fact, with the cat from the nuns. Yeah, with Alejandro from the nuns. Yeah. Chip, Chip, and uh, I, I actually left doing any kind of music for. I sold my T Bird, and everything. Sold all my stuff and moved to Portland, Oregon. Lived there for about a year. Really miserable and unhappy. Uh, not uh, playing any music. Not doing any music at all. Chip, uh, <clears throat> Chip had moved to New York to play with Alejandro, and it actually started this band, Rank and File. Uh, which actually, we when the deal, little bit the deals the nuns we'd gotten together before, and 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 done like a project called Rank and File before we actually did some recording, which sounded nothing like uh, the Rank and File that came out later. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, that's where Chip and Al had gotten a uh, you know a taste of playing with each other, and so when when the deal split up, Chip moved to New York to uh, play with Alejandro. And they kept the name rank and file, started a whole new thing, uh, some with with like some country feel to it, but all sorts of different stuff. Uh, and they had a different bass player, uh, a drum, a drummer, a bass player, and stuff like that. And they were actually touring, and they you know they did like low budget tours, and they were coming through Portland. Oh, so you saw the gig. I saw the gig and I basically got in the van with them as they were leaving. And, you weren't uh, at the front of the stage. No. <laughs> and uh, and then I moved to New York and we stayed in New York for four months. And from there, uh, Chip and Al and I moved to Austin. Yeah. Uh, where we got Slim, 
and to actually kind of really put that band together. And uh, now the scene had changed, right? Some uh, bands were starting to get signed. Yeah, but see, I, I was not Mike at the time. You mean the scene here? Not the punk scene, but the music scene. Uh, yeah, but I'm starting I, to sign some. Uh, who got to Dream Syndicate get a deal? And I mean, there was some yeah, bands. but I wasn't. See, but I wasn't paying any attention to that. We were living in Austin at yeah. the time, and we were we were basically concentrating on putting this band together because it wasn't. It it was it. It took it, that band took a lot of thought, you know, and that was the first band too where. Uh, Unlike the Dills, the Dills were more. It a lot of times with the Dills, it was almost like the the uh, we weren't a band. It's like a band like here's the songs, here's the set list, you play, you know, and then we're going to record, and then we're going to perform, and let's do it. You know, let's have a career thing. The Dills were never that at all. The Dills were. It was more like a, an ex, explosion. I mean, it, remember like, the like, last gig, punk rock thing. Is the last gig an explosion? Yeah, I think it was here in L.A. I'm not. I can't. I cannot really Places remember. Hall. I think so. It might have been. I can't really remember because the end. It to me, the Dills had more like of a petering out thing than like an explosion. Okay. I, that's that's just my memory of it. Uh, but uh, the, you're excited about this rank and file thing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and we and we got to. We got to Austin. Uh, Chip and Al and I auditioned a bunch of drummers. It was just like the early punk rock days. Nobody wanted to play. The music was too strange, too weird to them. Yeah, there was a thing called cow punk that came later. In fact, one of the surf punk guys is like middle name in the ad. Scott Cowpunk Goddard or something. Yeah, I yeah I see. I don't I don't I don't know about that. But well, the, play, I, we even were on some bills with him at the music machine uh-huh. or some. And he was Scott Cowpunk Goddard and. And then we got to be friends with this cat uh, who had a band called Blood on the Saddle. Right, right, Greg, Greg yeah, yeah. was pretty mean guitar player. D. Boom really dug yeah. his guitars. Yeah. And they had a stand-up bassist. Yeah. And, uh, and that was in so the band. So yeah. a genre developed. A genre developed, yeah. And, uh, and the rank and file wasn't aware of that because it's probably being uh, formed, right? Mike, I could not tell you. I've... I've I, all I know is that we were in Austin putting this thing together, and we played the, uh, we played a gig. Uh, basically, got booked at this club in Austin based on the fact that Chip and I had been in the Dills and the Nuns. People thought they were going to get like a California style punk rock show, yeah. Based on the pedigree, and we didn't. And we came and we played this stuff, and it was, it was like new. No, uh-uh, no, we're not. We don't want to hear this. Not even in Austin. No, especially not in Austin. Time, because Austin was just getting into new wave at the time, oh. and they didn't want anything that had anything at all to do with country. And uh, it was that this is what we don't want to hear this crap. You know, we could, we've, we've heard a lot. Of heard, we grew up with it. You know, we're sick of it. And uh, and so we could not get a gig. And we basically are. We had to. The only gig we could get was at this place called the Shorthorn, on the north side of town. And we got where we played every Wednesday. And we, it was me and Chip and Alejandro and uh, and Slim, and we would go there and play like three sets every Wednesday, and just basically build up a crowd of people who didn't have a clue as to like the deals or not. They didn't care, you know. And and from there we kind of went back in, went back into it, and by that time it was like uh, it was just 
you know, bringing people along. It was bringing people along. I remember it was sort of funny. Especially look at what happened with all country later, but I remember it was funny when all country. That's yeah, it would it would literally it would literally be us, you know, after a gig sitting around and everybody just kind of going, "This is so great, this is so cool, this is so cool," and you'd be putting on the uh, you know this uh, the the usual like a Johnny Cash record would play on the thing or a Patsy Cline, all the standard stuff and stuff yeah. like that. And then Johnny Cash, would go, then somebody would go, "But fuck Willie Nelson, man!" And we go, "No, no, no." No, Willie Nelson is cool. It's cool. It's okay to like Willie Nelson. Oh, what about Eagles? Okay, no, never that. Never that. No, no country rock, actually. No, no, none of that stuff. And uh, and then we got that started, and then we went on the road and played, like, and played, and came out to the West Coast, and you know, and it went back to the East Coast stuff like that, and it did really well. And we got, uh, we got signed accidentally uh, to Slash. And we put that record out, and it just things really went well for us for for yeah. a while. Yeah. But it was uh, that we got signed. Ex- I say accidentally because the 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 person who ended up doing our demo and and producing that record, David Kahn, who went on to he's a friend of mine. Yeah. D- yeah. Fishbone and the yeah. D- yeah. David went on to have a really you know lucrative and successful career. Just and, did something with Paul McCartney. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, but he. Uh, he had gotten signed by 415 Records to yeah, produce Clyde. a band called uh, The Red Rockers. From New Orleans. Yeah, from New Orleans. They were playing on that bill that night that we were playing on. And he got, he walked in on our show and thought we were The Red Rockers. And so he was coming backstage. Which were kind of like a clash band. Yeah. And he came backstage and was talking to us about, oh, I can't wait to do all this stuff. And then, and then after like five minutes, it became obvious that he thought we he didn't know that we were rank and file. I thought we were a different band. Yeah. And we said, well, you saw us, right? And he says, yeah, I, it, was, it was great. And he says, we said, we're not the Red Rockers. <laughs> and he said, well, who are you? We said, rank and file. He said, how long are you going to be in town? We said, uh, we're, uh, we're going to be staying over tomorrow, and then we're leaving the day after. And he goes, uh, I want to record you while you're here. So we went, he got a little time, because he was working as a staff engineer at the Automat recording studio up in San Francisco went in did a few songs and uh, got them they got to Bob Biggs because uh, Dave Alvin and the Blasters had seen us and they really liked us and they had gotten signed to Slash and so Dave kind of put the word in and uh, and we got signed to Slash Records and he started the touring thing yeah, then the next three years of your life, you know, right. playing every night and all that stuff. Yeah. So how'd that adventure did. go? What's that? How'd that adventure go? That was fun. I Looking back on it, I wish I would had enjoyed it more than I did. You uh, bumming on it? No, I wasn't bumming on that the actual thing. I was uh, What's that? I was best Portland, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, it, no, I was, uh, I, was, I was pretty uptight back, you know, thinking about stuff. And, and I was, it was like, I didn't, I didn't think we were that good. Uh, I... I was just I didn't like the way we I thought we could have been better you know I think we I wanted us to work a little bit harder at what we were doing instead of kind of goofing off a little bit and I uh, I think that that sort of and I think that when it came time to make our second record I think that sort of or when we were working up to making the second record I think that that sort of thing that's when that's when it showed you know the fact that 
you know, this is great, but you got to make your next record. And yeah. are you guys ready? And we weren't. But we had to make one anyway. Which holds another dynamic uh, yeah. versus scene politics. Now you're with the. Uh, this was the first industry. Ba- this it was the first band I was ever in that was like a, a, a band. Yeah. Uh, you've got a you got set lists. You've got schedules. You've got you know, be here now. Uh, do this. You know, you do your interviews before the show. Yeah. You know, do the show. Go here after the show. That sort of thing. Uh, you know, real tours. Real, you know, real business people snorting coke, you know, uh, behind doors, then coming out with it hanging under their nose, and coming up to you afterwards, you know, when you just got off stage and trying to have a beer, and all of a sudden these guys that you know haven't even listened to your record or even seen you are sitting there telling you how incredible you are, and you're going, I, you know, it was real. It was the real, the real band thing. But uh, so you did three years of that. Yeah. And then what happened? Uh, just the same thing. It just kind of petered out. Business fell off. It just fell apart. No, well, you didn't have the Thunderbird. No, I was playing a uh, precision bass. Yeah, big mistake. <laughs> no, that's a great bass. Yeah, I had a sixty-two P bass that I, I I bought in Austin. That was a really nice bass. Actually, the for the bass I made the uh, the the bass I used to record this album was a. Uh, you know, this Fender Telecaster bass was the big fat humbucking yeah. pickup up front. I had one of them. Which is it's the worst it's the worst sounding bass Fender ever made, and uh, I remember the engineer, <laughs> and I love the way it looks, you know, because it has that big metal square right there oh, under the cool. neck, and it's got the big long strings, and it's it's got the little old style Telecaster yeah. uh, tuning uh, peghead, but uh, it's a horrible sounding bass, and the, and this is that's the bass I recorded this record with, and I remember the producer just kind of going, "That's basically the." Sounding. So it was like David Kahn just trying to get some good sound out of it. What'd you use for an amp? SVT? Uh, I, yeah, I, I ended up using an SVT. The first, the first. Because uh, in Dills, I didn't ask you about this, but because I'd see you play, you use a lot of different stuff. I think no, the, share. no, the Dills, the yeah. Dills bass amp I always use was a Sun Concert bass. Yeah, I saw with, you with through that. a uh, an eighteen inch reflex. You're right, thing. folded horn. Yeah, and if I used anything else, it was like something I had borrowed. Yeah, some of the, what, the other bands I'd see another band playing the same amp. Yeah, yeah. Which I saw that a lot. A lot of bands sharing yeah. equipment. Yeah, and uh, and but with that it was uh, I with my I switched to a. I, uh, I had a I, I got another Sunhead because I liked the one I used in the Dills uh, so much, and then I got a really crappy enclosure made by a local Texas manufacturer who did, it just wasn't a very good sound. And so then I went to I got an SVT, and that's you know they're just SVTs. You stuck with that, yeah. yeah. So how did how, how did this? This didn't explode either. No, no, it did, no. Rank and file had a, had a really we had a really really nice ride for about a year and a half. Uh, no, I'm talking about the end. <clears throat> oh, the it end of this. Fizzle out. <clears throat> yeah, it, no, it fizzled out too. It didn't. It didn't explode. Yeah. It, it, it fizzled out when. Uh, here's how. Here was the. Here's when the, it's not only the fizzles done, but you hear the. And then the silence. Uh, we were. <laughs> we had done a tour. We had done a tour uh, in place, which is after our third album came out, and that album was awful. It was horrible. It was a horrible record. It's the one record I've ever made in my life that I'm, I'm ashamed of. 
I mean, we're going to play the whole thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the concept. But, uh, uh, and we toured on that record. You and as alternative mixes. Yeah, right. The extended dance mix. <laughs> And uh, as as be you know, and and what happens to a band that puts out a really 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 awful album happened to us is that we were playing places that we had packed you know a year yeah. and a half before, and there was nobody coming. It was, and it, the handwriting was on the wall that it was just it was just basically over. And uh, I mean, the, and and inside the band it was over too. The the there there was there was no inspiration. It was just gone. You know, yeah. it was it was gone. I don't. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation. I mean. Have you, have you ever been with a unit where you're just kind of going, this is through? Yeah. Yeah. Once. I mean, obviously not the Minutemen. No. But anyway, the... It's uh, kind of sad. Yeah. But it's kind of being, uh, facing uh, realness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's facing the music. And I remember we, we were, and we were on this miserable tour that was just bomb after bomb after bomb. And, you know, you're just kind of going, oh. I want to go home, <laughs> and uh, and we ended up having a week off in New York. Uh, in between uh, purgatory and hell, you know, the, finishing this thing off, and uh, and we had a week off, and uh, Chip and I had just gotten our publishing check, so we had some money, so we were having, a, you know, we were enjoying ourselves, and. Uh, the rest of the guys had flown back home because they were the, they, these guys were married. The other guys in the band were married, so we flew them back home. They could spend time with their families, and Chip and I were there just bopping around. We had some friends there, and <clears throat> and had you know some dough to spend, and we're enjoying ourselves. And we went to our uh, booking agent, and no, it wasn't our booking agent. He was a guy. It was a friend of ours. Who was a booking agent that we, because, you know, we were thinking, well, maybe it's our booking agent. Of course it wasn't. We went and said, we said, hey, you know, could you just see if there's stuff, something out there that's better, you know, than, than what we got, than what's happening? And he said, uh, yeah, I'll see what I can see what I can do. And <laughs> the gig he came back with for us was, uh, it was a tour that we could start after this one. We would have been opening... It was a college gigs opening for Michael Stipe's slideshow. Not Michael Stipe's sideband from REM. Not REM, not Michael Stipe's sideband from REM. Michael Stipe's slideshow, where he was touring colleges uh, with his photographs and stuff like that. And basically, and I took this in Amsterdam, and, you know, and Amsterdam's really interesting, and we had a great gig here, and here's Peter with his pants off. You know, that sort of stuff. And we were going to open for that. Now, what year is this? This is like 1986 or 87, 86, 87. And Chip and I just looked at each other and went, it's over. <laughs> you know, let's stop this now. Yeah. And we, uh, and we, co- told, we told the other guys that, you know, this is through. We're through. And we came back to uh, L.A. and formed Blackbird. Yeah, right. Which was because we wanted to do something completely different, completely different yeah. than, than. Well, we're going to get to that. But Brother Mascot is spin cycle right now. Look of love, can't count the tears of love, 
Thank you for your spin cycle cool. installment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Buttressed with voices <laughs> of our guests. Uh, Bob Stiers uh, joined us. I didn't get to hey, say Bob, uh, hi to him. Back. Hey, Bob. It's Thank nice you for being here. here. Listen to uh, Tony's uh, history. Yeah. Tony's very history cool. lesson. It's yeah, righteous. Part three. <laughs> yeah, part three. But first, uh, end of hour two, November 30th, 2008. Watch Peter Show. Hold tight for hour three. November 30th, 2008. It's the third hour of the Waffle Pedro show. And uh, continue on with Tony's journey through musical life. The Dills are behind him. Rank and file is behind him. Now? Now we come upon Blackbird. Uh, Blackbird. After, after Chip and I broke up, uh, we stopped doing rank and file. We came back and we wanted to do something completely different. And uh, so we came back to Los Angeles where we were living by that time. And we had been, been, like I said, the Dills were like a, uh, it was very much a punk rock explosion thing. Uh, Rank and File, I love the band, but it it was very much a, a, the part, working in the music industry was a big part of it. And we, we had had enough of that. And we went for a complete... The opposite. Uh, we so it was like apprentice, journeyman, and now master. Right now we're master. <laughs> you might want to call it that way. Anyway, so so what we did is we came back and we got a uh, we got a sound. We we came out with a sound that's completely different from what we'd done before. Any kind of country type stuff and uh, or punk rock stuff. And we uh, played with a drum machine, which we were new at at the time. But that's what we wanted. We wanted that sound. And uh, it was just... Don't have to deal with personalities either. No, no, you don't. And and it was also... And, and it was just a very free... I mean, for us, free. It was still songs. You know, it was still us writing tunes and stuff like that. But our approach to it was, was really different. Uh, and we... And we liked the and we liked the concept of of the drum machine thing too. It was very uh, count. It was a whole counter band thing. Yeah. Uh, because rock uh, rock music audiences tend to be really cons- uh, they're actually really conservative in a lot lot of the ways. I mean, I, even I am. Like if I if I go to see a like as a bass player, like when you go to see if you grew up or you go to shows where somebody has a bass that you think is really cool, then yeah. all of a sudden there's a gig and they're playing something different <laughs> you know even then it can rub you the wrong way uh and anyway people love to see you know if they if they hear drums coming off a of stage they want to see a drummer and uh and we didn't do that uh we did and except for a while there once when we did some shows with firehose mike spam right. 
we had a friend of ours, uh, Claire. We asked her to be our fake drummer, and what she did was she borrowed uh, a drum kit from KK, who was the old drummer from the Screamers, his gray drum kit, and we had her play it, fake fake it on stage, uh, but not trying to fool anybody, just to have a human sitting there going through the motions playing drums on stage. Uh, when Claire first came over, I remember she asked, she said, well, can I come to your rehearsals? And we said, my, me and Chip, we said, no. We, you know, you don't, you don't need to. You know, just, because it's not important for you to rehearse. And, and she was a natural born show person anyway, show, show woman. So, uh, we knew that we knew that wasn't going to be a problem, and uh, and when we were actually doing the shows, I remember uh, the sound man was coming up to mic the drums, and we said, "Don't put any mics on." And he said, "Well, what?" And we said, well, "She's a fake drummer. There's no mics. It's all coming out of the drum." And he said, "Okay." And so she would, and when she would play, she would she was she would play with the songs but she wasn't trying to play like uh like when you see somebody uh miming on tv to a track right. it was just like and it was funny watching i remember watching the audience because there would be uh especially at a firehose show there'd be all these dudes up front <laughs> firehose dudes and they would be you know they would be crowding the front getting ready for you guys to come on right and uh and it would be because you guys were players you know and george and every you know it's like Nobody's going to mistake George for a fake drummer, right? And so, so we would watch them, and about halfway through the set, you would see it start to dawn on these guys that, again, weren't there to really see us. They were waiting to see Firehose. They would, it would that that she's not playing drums. She's not. And you could see the, uh, and you could see them like telling their friends. You know, it was loud, so you couldn't hear what they were saying. But you could see their faces contorting in anger or astonishment, and the and guy yelling over at his friend, like pointing, going, "She's fake." And then, of course, in between songs, and we didn't Pay we no didn't, attention to the man lying. Yeah, we didn't normally stop a lot in between songs, but in between, you could hear like these guys going, "She's not playing. She's faking," and all this stuff. And then we say, "Well, this is our fake drummer, Claire," and it was like. They felt ripped off and strange, and and because so, sometimes the concept does not get through. They wanted to see a real drummer, but anyway, that was a very Blackbird thing to do, very Blackbirdian. And uh, Blackbird was a band that Chip and I had for we had the band for a long time. Yeah. And it was and it was very it was a real fun band. Uh, we made two albums uh, re- and recorded some other stuff, and. Uh, it was just that was just a real fun band to, to be in, mostly because there were just absolutely no expectations for anything. It was just, it was just what it was. And there was, a, I mean, there was a time when, there was a time when business people started actually to come around because we actually started doing sort of well in town here, and uh, and we had this one song called uh, "Time to Go," that is, it's <clears throat> a Blackbird version of a blues song, and. Uh, it's about when we would play it live it would be about 11 minutes long and it was just Chip Chip playing this riff and me singing and no bass and uh, and then uh, the Chip's guitar break and bringing the drum machine and the drum machine stops more guitar break and it was a very it was like a signature song to the people that liked us and uh, but to those that didn't care about us it was like guaranteed to drive them up the wall and I remember that we had a... Uh, Good, let's play that song. <laughs> you, right okay. Now. 
saying about the Shecky. Oh, well, the Shecky came in and uh, he asked if he could be our manager. And we said, he asked, did you have a manager? We said, no. He says, do you have a, any kind of management contract? Anybody said, no. He says, uh, uh, do you want a manager? We said, well. And he said, well, could I, you know, maybe try out be your manager? We said, try, give it a try. Uh, will you sign a management? We said, no. You know, just manage, try to manage something. And, uh, and so one night we were playing Raji's and uh, <laughs> Raji's and Raji's no longer because of the earthquake, right? And Raji's was a Raji's was a great fun place to play, but it was a real sh- shithole. It was Do you a, know what? Before it was called that, it was called the the King's Palace. That's an even better name for it. <laughs> yeah, and it had like puffy stuff hanging the off King the roof. Of yeah, <laughs> but it was. Uh, but Raji's was a blast to play. Anyway, and so he we're we're, we're playing Raji's, and he goes, uh, "I've got it's." I, I'm making this night a showcase for you. And we're going, what? <laughs> showcase? He goes, what? And so we said, he said, yeah, uh, I'm bringing some industry people down. We go, okay, bring industry people down to Rajis. All right. And then he goes, uh, and he goes, uh, I want to ask you. I you guys yeah, yeah, it was miserable. <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> Tom's sleeping in a sleeping bag in that <laughs> office of his. Yeah. And he... <laughs> And then he says, but one thing I want to ask you, we said, what's that? He says, don't play uh, that song, Time to Go. 
and, we, and that was love, but that's like waving a red flag in front of Chip and I. And we said, okay. And so, for, so the first thirty minutes of the set was that song, <laughs> and uh, we yeah. But that was the whole point of what I mean. We we were we were meant to be unmanageable. It was just that sort of thing. Like, don't just don't do it. Don't do it. Anyway, so and we played Blackbird for a good long time, and Blackbird actually ended on a good note. It was uh, it was just you know. It was, it was. We were just done with it, but it wasn't any sort of. There were no expectations that had fallen apart. So it was just. A, it was just a fun all the way through. It was a fun run. And then you went on to Cowboy Nation. Cowboy Nation, yeah, which was another complete departure, because we wanted to get back into. Uh, at the time, uh, we were. I would, we were listening to a lot of uh, old old timey type music. Like Tex Ritter doing cowboy songs and stuff like that, and we and we just went even further back and and got some of the uh, real folk oriented stuff. And plus, uh, I remember as a kid having the cow, uh, Johnny Cash "Mean as Hell" album, which was his cowboy album. It's a double album set. Very, I think it's a great album. A lot of people would find it very strange though, because it's a lot of Johnny Cash did like three or four different concept albums, and they're all fairly strange because the when a country person is a concept album, they put so much of themselves into it because it's much more vocal oriented than, say, a rock concept yeah. album like Tommy or something. It's they carry a lot more of their character into it. They're doing it's like uh, Willie Nelson doing Redheaded Strangers the same way, or he did three. Willie Nelson did Phases and Stages and Shotgun Willie, which are three separate concept albums. Right. And some of them are very weird, you know. Did a reggae album. <clears throat> yeah, but the, but these were like thematically, you know, like the, thematically conceptual. Like one of I can't remember which one is. We were just talking to God, and uh, anyway, that uh, redheaded stranger, mean as hell, and stuff like that. And Chip and I said, let's let's try that. Let's try let's 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 take a genre music like cowboy music and, and a drummer, Dennis Doug. No, Dennis. No, this was completely different from Dennis because what Dennis was is actually Chip and I put together a little rock combo for a few months in between Blackbird oh, and Cowboy Nation. What was that called? Uh, we didn't. We never really had a name. Well, what was on the bill? I think it would be like Chip, Chip and, and Tony, Tony. Kimman and, and Dennis Duck. Didn't go anywhere. Like it was. It wasn't as much fun as it as we thought it was going to be. No, it do do not due to Dennis, but. Uh, you know, it just Dennis played with Dream Syndicate and uh, Human Hands. Yeah, yeah. Is he still around? Yeah, Dennis is still yeah. around. It wasn't that just wasn't weird enough for us, though. And so we, uh, and so we started doing this, and we whole idea. But you had a drummer. Yes, we had a drummer. Play. Uh, it was Jamie Spidel. And she was playing a very minimal kit. She would play a kick drum really and, and a hi hat. Oh yeah, she really played <laughs> and uh, and percussion like a tambourine or shaker or uh, blocks. Because and the whole idea was to be absolutely minimal to do these songs and strip them down to the bare minimum so that you could still follow the structure. And that's how we started anyway. And although it fleshed out after like by the third album, and uh, and it didn't. Another interesting part about Cowboy Nation is that we wanted to play to, for the cowboy music audience, which we actually did. We we started doing because there is a cowboy scene that has absolutely no intersection between what we you know what we've been talking about and uh, and itself. And the uh, 
we put out a we, we did a couple we we would do shows here in Los Angeles but they but they were like really they were really small and and that that wasn't our main thing. Gene Autry. Uh, yeah, we would play the Autry. Uh, we would play the Autry the Cowboy G- Museum. Autry Museum. Uh, we would play. Which is great. It's got a place for black cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine was his archivist for his box set. Very interesting. Worked for him for years. Well, got to go into this warehouse, and he trusted him enough because he worked at that radio station. What was that? One one point nine. We go in and just pick out what you want. And this guy sent country actually in front of the rotters later. Now he's moved to Nashville, but uh, it's pretty cool. Cuba's a good man. Uh, so you work in the cowboy circuit? Yeah, we were doing that, and uh, we recorded three albums, and uh, the. A funny thing happened on the second after the second one though we we got we recorded the first one for an album a a label in Australia uh, called Shock Records and God, I cannot even remember how we got that weird deal but it was one of those things where we we have some friends in Australia and, and some Australian record company called us up and said I heard you guys are are working on something now and we said yeah he says well we'd like to put it out we said well don't you want to hear what he said no. And so they sent us a budget. They sent us a budget. <laughs> Chip and I bought some recording equipment and, and recorded the record ourselves, which was easy to do because it was so minimal. And uh, got the record put out there. We owned the masters. Got the record put out there, uh, and had it put out here, and it did pretty well. Got the attention of this record company called Western Jubilee Records out of Colorado Springs, which are which is the big cowboy music label and uh we recorded our second record for them and which i think is our best album and uh that record did did very very well on the cowboy thing and the whole time we're playing this stuff and we're but with a really different approach because we would we would be playing bills where you would have Three or four acts, because they were all festival type things. Three or four acts, and they, and each one would actually be trying to outdo it, the new sons of the pioneers. You know, it'd be like you know, you know, with the four part harmonies and yodeling and stuff. And it was nice, but everybody was trying to basically do that. And then you'd get the uh, the guys who would basically be they would sound like folk singers, except it would be a horse. Jack Elliott. Yeah, and then uh, and the cowboy poets would be on there, and the cowboy poets were always excellent. They were excellent. They, these guys were uniformly excellent. They would be excellent anywhere. They would they would do their spiel. It was always good. Uh, but the music wasn't so good. And uh, and we would come out and we would we would slay them because you know Chip and I would come out and we'd play with a little but not Dill's type energy leap and a thing. But you didn't you know but just like with a little bit of enthusiasm for what we were doing and trying to keep it more real. Uh, because we were we were actually looking back further to the source of the music than most of the other people were, which there it stopped at movie cowboy movie music, you know, uh, Sons of the Pioneers stuff. I love Sons of the Pioneers, but that's what that stuff is. And uh, we would do we did a Gene Autry song, we did uh, Back in the Saddle, but we did it our own way, and wrote most of it wrote, wrote most of the stuff ourselves and plus we do like folk ballads uh, or the, cow, the the real cowboy type ballads in our own way and we and we were we were doing really really well and here's what an interesting like I said an interesting thing happened on the way to the third album 
Uh, Western Jubilee, who is a record company, is the, like I said, it was the biggest uh, distributor and producer of cowboy music, which it got, it got in all the specialty stores. It got on all the, you know, all the genre type marketing. It had prime placement. Uh, and Scott was also the manager. Scott O'Malley, who was the head of the label, was also the manager of like some of the big, like Don Edwards and Waddy Mitchell, some of the biggest names in, in uh, the cowboy genre field. Uh, he started getting calls from his uh, distributors, his people saying, uh, if you make us carry Cowboy Nation, we're going to stop carrying your entire line. And he just said, why? And he said, this is, I, we just don't want this. We just don't want it. And as Scott explained to us, is that we, there, that, that scene has been the way it's been for so long that nobody wants the, even though they're always complaining about that, you know, you're not, we're not bringing any new people in to listen to this stuff, but we were, we were, I mean, we would, we were doing that, but they didn't want it because, uh, it, it, it like was upsetting apple carts and they didn't, they, and they basically threatened him and we had to record our next record on a different label. Damn. And we're still good buddies with Scott O'Malley because he just said, I'm sorry, boys, this is what I do. This is my living. This is my life. That's screwed up. It, it, was, it, was, it was weird. It was, weird. It, was, it was a shock when Chip and I had because we looked at and said, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and this shit's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, it was like, it was, the music was as far removed from punk rock as anything we've ever done. And yet that, it was having the same reaction among it's like, a human thing. yeah, the establishment. Really it was unreal. It was unreal. Cowboy hat, yeah. coat. Yeah, I was playing a dobro bass on stage. Yeah. Like, oh. What's that? You were tweaking the formula? Uh, I, I, no, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was except that some of these people felt threatened. Here's a joke. Regina Autry died. Yeah. The joke in the cowboy music scene was everybody move up one. Because that's how... Stultified, it is. Right. and you know, and 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 weird, and uh, and a band, a big band, a big band that these people tried to make a claim for their uh, own was uh, what's that band? Uh, uh, big Parliament. <laughs> no, they were like a Western swing band that that kind of uh, I can't remember now. I. I want to say Big Balls in Cowtown, but that's the, uh, that's the... Big Sandy? Yeah. No, no, no. It, no, 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 no. It was, no, these guys are, they're like the hot band or hot, hot, hot. Anyway, this band I'm talking about, they came up and they're, they're players. They're swing, swing, swing band, but like, and vocals, but the cowboy thing. They came up and just kind of completely blew past all these people, you know? So they, that's an example of, of how these fools just don't they they just don't know what it is that they that they're doing a lot you know they 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 screw with with something that could actually help everybody and they but they're just idiots and and i and the music we were doing was not i mean it was perhaps did you bring some yeah yeah okay let's listen yeah the years they come and go what once I did quickly, I barely can get done at all. Don't you know, wherever I'm going, I'm going 
So I ride smoothly Settle down Take it slow This rough stream rider Just can't ride no So who was that that you said that uh, was referring to Bo Diddley? Uh, well, when he died... Um, oh, I, hold on a second. That was Spooky by Cowboy Nation. Now, we're picking up on a conversation that was going on while that was playing about uh, Bo Diddley. Yeah. And, and Gene um, Autry. Yeah. And while I was playing Quicksilver when Bo Diddley died, thinking I always loved that Happy Trails record. Um, well, anyways, I heard an interview with George Surgood who owes everything to Bo Diddley, and Bo finally confided in that the Bo Diddley beat wasn't something out of the projects in Chicago or anything like that. No, no, no. He was trying to do, when he first started to play, a straightforward version of the Gene Autry song called My Jingle Won't Jangle. I thought he was from Mississippi. And um, could be. Um, but East St. Louis, I don't know, whatever it was. But anyways, in his inability to play that song, he stumbled upon this beat. Um, because, you know, he just couldn't play that song, my Jingle One Jingle. Yeah, he's trying to play along to a cowboy song. Yeah, and so he ended up with that beat. And, um, 
Interesting. There are people who don't know what they're doing. Can be innovators. Right. <laughs> the old joke is... They don't get the credit, but, you know, sometimes they don't get the credit. Someone else takes that. Yeah. And runs with it. Or, but the influencers, like the Velvet Underground. And, uh... Yeah, it, yeah, but it's but it was almost like it was almost like uh, exciting to know that you can still have that effect on people, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so, so we rub em raw. yeah, so we made another we made so we Cavalry Nation made three records, and then Chip Chip decided this is just a few years ago that he that he was through with it, and uh, and so we and for, and so for the first time since we started playing as kids together, we went our separate way. Yeah, that's a trip. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't get into, uh, when you guys started, you had Jeff singing. Yeah. Jeff leaves, you guys sing. Yeah. And you've sang ever since. Yeah. Yeah. It started off with Chip mostly singing, mostly, because I, I just wanted to be the bass player. I wanted At to be... the beginning of bass, the Dills. Yeah. Because I was wondering about when Rank and File you brought in later. Yeah. I should have asked it during that time, but it was, it was going through my mind. But you end up singing a lot of Rank and File. Yeah. Yeah, and now I, now I, well, and now in Los Trendy I sing all. Yeah, let's get to Los Trendy. Okay. So Chip quit, quit with uh, <clears throat> Cowboy Nation. Mm-hmm. And then you start this band, Los Trendy. Yeah. Which I like. I got to see in Sun Valley. <laughs> Tiny. Amps, little, uh, tiny drums. No, that would. No, that was and a special. That was for Chang on drums. That was a special Lucifer presentation. That is not the real presentation. <laughs> tiny. <laughs> okay, you guys saw a special presentation for that evening only. Yeah. By popular demand, the now, tiny amps, tiny Also, sound. special about those trendy. You're not on bass. No, I switched over to guitar because what happened is that I. I didn't really want to get... I didn't want to get a guitar player. You know, I played with Chip, and I played with other people, and I thought, well, I'm going to, le- I'm going to learn how to play guitar. I, and I had to... And because I'd never... I'd never learned how to play guitar. I learned some chords enough to write some songs and put some stuff together. I, but I never played guitar well enough to play it in front of people. And some might think I still don't. But the... Uh, no, you play good. But I... Uh, so I taught myself, and... Pete has to say bye... Bye bye, Pete. So long. Nice to meet you. Nice Happy to meet trails. you. Oh, you sue me. Okay. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, and so I get I get Christy Wedge. I asked. Uh, we're I'm playing one night guitar. Christy Wedge. Yeah, and she says, uh, "Can I?" Bye bye, Morgan. She goes. She goes. Uh, I want to play something. I said, "Well, I want." I said, "Well, I'll teach you how to play bass." Yeah, and so taught her to play bass. Uh, she's got left-handed. Her. At first, we started teaching Beano her bass. right-handed. Well, yeah, bass. she yeah she got the Hofner, and uh, we started uh, learning right-handed. She said, "Well, I'm ambidextrous," and so she learned how to play right-handed. And then finally, it's kind of went, you know, there's just a little bit of something not happening there. So we uh, got her left-handed, and basically had to learn all over again. But she uh, she. You know, she snapped to it, got good, and got... Kay's left-handed, but she plays right-handed because she thought this hand was supposed to be the... Yeah. The, the fretting hand was well, supposed to... Well, you would think that. You would, you, would, yeah. you would think that. But it doesn't It doesn't really work that no way. Anyone that's ambidextrous is left-handed. <clears throat> there's a reason a one-armed bandit is on the right side. 
because that's all you guys can do. <laughs> Seriously, no one's supposed to be born left-handed. Something is awry. We'll save that for another. Yeah, left is. I live better with my left. Hand. In Italian, it's sinister. Yeah, sinister. sinister. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people were whacked with the metal ruler to write with the other hand, but not a good idea. Anyone has kids right out. means correct. If anyone has just mm. had kids out there, don't do it. Or droid. French droid. Droid. A droid. Droid. French is what for right, right? Yeah, and. Uh, Gauche for left. Yeah. See, so there you go. Ooh, <laughs> it's screwed up. Yeah, it's, more eugenics. And uh, and we got yeah, but it runs in the family. How many left-handed people are in your family? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, then go, three. Go with yeah. And my father was left-handed, but they changed him over to right when he was a kid. See, so but he has the gene. So it would have been four. My mom was left-handed, and my littlest sister is left-handed. Tony, didn't Blackbird have that um, dyslexic B? Yeah, we had a flip B, kind of like a. There's a. There's also a, a some couture, couture thing that does the B. Yeah, it's a, yeah we did. Yeah, left hander notices that because it's exactly <clears throat> the only way I could work with. Yeah, and so anyway, so we Isn't put that the letter D. B. Lowercase. No capital. But lowercase D. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. So he's trying to tie in left-handed with dyslexia and blackbird. Well, it's a yardbird connection, actually, over, under, sideways, down. Yeah. It's inverted, and... <laughs> or, now, or now you can buy a Stratic... Right-handers can buy a Stratocaster with the neck I know, flipped like up like Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> so but uh, where'd you find... You got a dr- real drummer, no fake drummer. No, no fake drummer. This is Dion, or Lucifer Chang, and... Uh, we got him through an actor friend of ours who... It was kind of funny the way we put this band together because I was a bass player, so naturally I'm going to play guitar. I, the bass player is somebody who's never played anything before, and the drummer was a drummer who came, moved from Atlanta to out here to be an actor, and but drummed back there and hadn't touched his drum in like years. So that's, you know, we put it together wow. like that. And... uh and it's a lot of fun. It and it, and it almost ha- and it ha- also has like a blackbird type vibe to it, in the sense that we we like to record and stuff like that. But I I don't as far as putting it out. I did a I did a a, a little interview like a month ago when the guy was saying so when's you know when, are you looking for a label? I said no. He said well are you going to put this out? I said I don't know. <laughs> you know because I don't have any I don't have any plans. Yeah. I don't you know because I just don't. It's for the love. Yeah, I just don't. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know that anymore. Eric, I, I left my copy at your house, and five minutes it. later, I'm like, I might never hear this again. <laughs> I have a question though. Um, it seemed like it, this little tinker toy um, amps and all. Um, the drummer would seem to be dovetailing sort of on your vocals. At least that you mean, night, that evening, is the record that way? You mean singing along yeah, with singing me? singing along, almost in a dovetail way. Oh, yeah. It's not harmony. It was almost like they were merging together. Maybe it was the... There, well, there's some, there's some parts where we sing almost like unison, yeah. and there's some parts where he does sing harmony. But that's, yeah, that's just the way we do it. Well, it sounded really good. Bob was yeah. digging. You're an innovator. Uh-huh. You're an innovator. <laughs> I want you to put your stuff in a time capsule and, and give the rights to me, and I'll put it out 20 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he was saying at the gig. He says, Tony's always ahead of everyone. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, 
I think things are pretty. Things are moving pretty quick in music nowadays. I can't. I can't keep up with stuff. I I hear stuff. I hear a lot of stuff nowadays. And I mean, the way actually, the way I like to hear stuff uh, nowadays. It's like we were mentioning during the uh, while Matt was mixing was that the uh, having a chat is that uh, you know you the, the stuff that you kind of hold closest to your heart is the stuff you grew up with. You know, sentimental. Yeah, well, it, and it's and it almost sometimes it just sounds the best to you. You know, you're kind of going, yeah, it's working so much better. Yeah, it's well. There's a, you know, there's emotion. There's times and place. There's a time and place association. There's everything in Puppet it. strings tied to your feelings. Yeah, and uh, right. who's got who's, who's got the other end <laughs> of the string though? The prefrontal cortex. Yeah, like to send a smell is it takes Exit. you back to that moment that you tie it to, whether it was a broken love affair or whatever, and you're there. Uh-huh. Oh, you always and all those emotions are yeah. back and vibrant, and of course, yeah, more. Uh, well, we were driving to. Uh, we were driving to. We had spent Thanksgiving out at Christie's sister's, out in Corona, and Kim, her other sister, was riding yeah. with us. And her MP3 was. She had a, wishing and a hope in that song, wishing and a hoping, and that song came on, and I instantly remembered the very first time I ever heard that song in my life. I was living in South Carolina. And it was listening to that radio station, and that song came on, and the sound was just there, and it's still there, and you know, it's still that song comes on, and my ear can. I've heard that about people that are losing their hearing a lot of times is that when they listen to music that they know, even though they can't hear most of it anymore, their memory is filling in. They can't they can't listen to new music. They can't do that with new music, but when they hear something they know, their memory fills it in, and it's actually they're actually hearing it. Even though there's no reason why they should be, but they're you know it's the it's the uh, I mean there's nothing in their ear that's letting them hear more than what they're actually hearing, but their memory is is plugging it in for them. Kind of Pavlov. It's more than that. No, it's, like it's not Pavlov. Yeah. <laughs> no, but anyway, but the, but the way I like to listen to music, I like to listen to music like accidentally now, like you'll be in a store and you'll hear yeah. something, or uh, or be sitting in somebody's riding in somebody's car with like an mp3 you know that that you don't know any of the stuff on and then you're just kind of going yeah i i remember the first time i heard the white so stripes curious. yeah the first time i ever heard the white stripes was in a uh art supply store in silver lake you know i thought i thought they sounded like the buzzcocks and then said you know that was that first song that first hit that was kind of it sounded like the buzzcocks to me and i said who is this they go this is the white stripes and i said well that sounds like the buzzcocks of course that their stuff doesn't sound like the buzzcocks but uh but i hear you know i mean all this stuff i've heard after that but uh i just like to hear stuff accidentally i'm not really interested in now going out and buying buying the record yeah. or even you know it's just i just want to he i just want to keep hearing stuff like that it's kind of fun we have a uh this uh corner store that chris and i go to in our neighborhood it's run by these Sikhs, and i remember we were uh we used to go in there all the time and they would play like Power 106 or something. They'd play like, you know, like urban stuff, and, you know. And I once went in there and it was a slow afternoon and they were playing like this Sikh spiritual music. Like, oh, yeah. And, uh, and I said, this is your stuff, right? And he goes, yeah. I said, I said you, should, you should play this in your store. This is really good. And now they do. Yeah. And, uh, and it hasn't, obviously it hasn't hurt their business, but uh, the... Uh, it's. I like hearing that when I go in there. It's. It's really neat. Exotic. Yeah. 
we actually went to, and and on, but on the other hand, we went to uh, we actually went to one of the brothers who runs the store got married, and he invited uh, Christy and I to his wedding. It was a Sikh wedding, and at the reception, they were had uh, Sikh, uh, these Sikh DJs. I guess for the you know the community, there's a large Sikh community here. And it was just like I guess it's the pop, you know, Indian pop music. It was, all, and it was like the same beat. It's the same beat you hear like at any any American club, yeah. With the sing, you know, with the singing over it, that you know, singing is a different language, and some of the some of the chord changes will be different and stuff like that. But it's basically, you know, and you just kind of going, this isn't like, you know, I wanted something a little more exotic, you know, via the. Uh, you know, walk in, I want to walk into a Sikh wedding and see, you know, swords and everything. But, uh, and this, and somebody singing this music or, or at least a recording of the music, but it was like, uh, you know, they wanted to dance. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. You know, you've been around, what would you tell a young person about getting into music? I would, what would I say? That's what Watts said. I would say, I would say, uh, do it. You can start off doing it uh, just for fun, but if you want to do it any longer than most of your friends are going to do it, uh, work a little harder at it than you think you have to. You know, unless you're, unless you are, well, no, no buts. Uh, work a little bit harder at it uh, than you think you should have to. And also, uh, try to make it meaningful to yourself and somebody that's listening. Not not ser- not necessarily serious or grim, but vital. Yeah, yeah. Try to try to do something that's not, you know. Try to do something where you're not going to try to fool somebody into thinking that it's something that, you know. It's not. I, it's it's difficult. I, I I I don't I don't like to give advice to people except like generic encouragement because I don't if I don't if I don't actually like something I would never want to be like your counselor that you started the show off with, you know to go I, you know I don't think you got it, you know so don't waste your time. I would never I I, I never want to say that to somebody even no. if even if I thought it. Uh, no, but I was thinking of uh, you know there must be. Some positive wisdoms out of all the hells, but maybe folks just got to go through those. Hey, I I knew I knew all the stories when I started. Yeah, I'd read about them. It didn't it did not keep me from making because you can keep yourself from making. The only mistake the only mistake I think I ever actually made was indulging in uh, sloth along the way. Take. Uh, Kind of, and sloth. Yeah, thinking thinking that okay, I'll just let this ride for three or four months and not worry about you know work so hard at, at it and just sort of <clears throat> and that was the, but those you know but those periods where you do that add up and that's because I didn't I I mean I, I was lucky enough not to get into drugs I was lucky enough not to get into any like really uh, into any situations where I got really screwed. You know, like money or like something like Badfinger. I never got yeah. into any of those kind of situations. But you can, uh, but that, okay, so sloth was my only mistake. But the thing is, you can't really control the mistakes of other people. No. And you can't. And a lot of, a lot, some of the problems we had were the, were the, were the results of other people screwing up, not us. And the reflection that would have back on me is that you've got to watch out for that sort of thing. 
because there there were signs there were signs but you just ignore them while while the going's good but i would just but i would just say if you love if you love doing this do it because that's the that's the reason i i'm still doing it because i love it i just love it well, let's love play it. some lost trendy okay I'm a Santa with a sack Get away and leave no track What I do has a long tradition A lot of accusations, very few convictions Little like a Jew, well I'm clever and I'm cruel I'm locking many doors, mirrors on the floor Everything I want but I'm always one more Name of my game is act like I'm half insane A runaway train trying to explain Existential pain that fills up my brain Rather than from nation to nation Given into each and every temptation Superglam, that's what I am Superglam, that's what I am Silver tights Look good under colored lights I'm thinking that I might treat you right Gonna find an undiscovered appetite Hey young dudes with your red, white and quaaludes You're beautiful and rude and in the mood I gotta say I really like your attitude Rather than from nation to nation Given into each and every temptation Superland that's why I am super glam. That's why I am super glam. That's why I am super glam. That's why I am. the sack, get away and coming back, what I do has a long tradition, a lot of accusations, very few convictions, feel like a Jew, well I'm clever and cool, locking many doors, mirrors on the floor, everything I want but I'm always one more, rattling from nation to nation, gathering into each and Every little temptation Super glam 
Todd from Pedro Show. Uh, we started our final chunk of music. Not a lot of music, a lot of good spiel from Tony. Cool spiel. Thank you so much, Tony. You're welcome, Mike. But that was Super Glam from Los Trendy. Or Los Trendy. Lo siento. How'd you get that name? Yeah. Christy thought it up. We, uh, we were discussing names, and all the good ones have been taken, like the Dills and uh, <laughs> Blackbird, <laughs> Rick and File. And the, so, uh, uh, the Pity Fur. Yeah, the Pity Fur. <laughs> no, no, well, what it was is that we were sitting, and, and uh, we, I, don't know how we, I don't know how we got trendy, but we got Los Trendy by the thing about, imagine it was like a DJ on like a Bonda station, huh. uh, Spanish Bonda station, going like, Los Hendy, Los Hendy, you know, one of those things. And yeah, because you bring in the... Yeah, with the echo and everything. And plus the band is not trendy. We're not trendy well, at all. Well, that's the thing. You're so. always in the antithesis. So it's ironic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's, we heard <laughs> Duck Missile Freak by the Yellow Gang. Rocklets Idiots Theme Part 2 by Rocklets Idiots. And uh, finally, Ivy Ivory Ivy by Hideki Kaji. Tony... Yeah. Christy. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Talia, make another repeat. Bob. Of course. Brother Matt. Aiden Abedin. Thank you, man. Awesome. Thank you guys here. The Watt from Pedro show. I've always wanted to have you on my show. I mean, almost 180 shows, and finally, I get Tony Kidman as my guest. Have me back, and I'll interview you. Okay. I'll be here Thanks so much, though, and good luck with Los Trendy. Thank you, Mike. I can't wait till you play again. I had to miss your last one because I was playing. So anyway, uh, it's been November 30th, 2008 edition of Watt from Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. That's right.